Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast, a place where we believe you can be equipped to conquer any obstacle in life through the power of God's Word. We have a mission and believe that whatever problem you might be facing, God has a word that can lift you out of your trouble. Now, here's your host, Preston Shuttlesworth. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while since the last episode, and I'm thankful for you guys still hanging in with me and jumping on and listening to this episode because this episode is going to be a follow-up to, a part two, I should say, to the episode I did on breaking the mentality of victimhood. And if you remember the episode, you remember I mentioned that I'm going to be doing a series of different mentalities that I believe every Christian needs to break in their life to walk in complete victory, complete freedom, and complete dominion uh, for their life. And so this is going to be a part two of the first mentality of victimhood and speaking about people that live with the mentality of being a victim. They have this perception that they're a victim. They have this perception that uh, life was intended for them to be beat up and uh, stepped over and put aside and, and things like this that are very damaging to a person, especially for a believer and especially for someone that has the hope of the Bible and reads the Bible and sees all these wonderful things that God has promised to his people in the Bible, but then they're unable to receive many of these things because they're unable to break this mentality of victimhood and being a victim. And so this is a part two to that episode. And so if you haven't listened to that first part, which I'm sure hopefully uh, some of you have, but if you haven't, I encourage you before you watch, or excuse me, before you listen to this episode to go back and listen to part one of breaking this first mentality that I'm going to later be developing into a book about mentalities that I believe every Christian must break. And I think it's really going to help you. And if you're wondering, I still have that plan for later in the year to develop uh, these episodes that I'm doing now to get them audio transcribed and then work from that material to produce my first book. And I'm really excited about that. It is honestly um, an intimidating thing and uh, a challenging uh, goal to set for yourself to do that, to write a book. Um, And this might be the easiest way to go about putting out a book is just speaking and then having your uh, words written down for you and then you can work from that material. And so that's the avenue that I'm going to go about this. But without, well, I mean, with all of that out of the way, let's jump right into the word of God today. But before we do, let me pray for you before we go to John chapter 5, which is where we're going to begin uh, for today. So right now, Father, I just pray for every single listener that took time out of their day, took time out of their busy schedules to hop on and listen to this episode. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me today on this episode. I pray that your word would penetrate to their hearts and get to their minds. Father, I thank you for testimonies that would come out of this episode. Father, we're not here just to waste time or for me to seem smart or intelligent, but Father, I pray that there would be real testimonies, real accounts of people that have been transformed by your word and not my word. I pray that people will log on, listen to this, they'll share it with their friends, and it will be an impactful thing 
that does a lot of good for their lives for the years to come. Father, I thank you that these things are happening right now, ahead of time. I claim them by faith, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's go right into John chapter 5 for today on this part 2 of breaking the mentality of victimhood. And I chose this mentality as the first one because it's the one for me that I see uh, most uh, prevalent, especially with younger people, because I believe many young people struggle with insecurity and how they perceive themselves to be. Many people, most people, even adults, even older people, don't see themselves as victorious. They don't see themselves as winners. They don't see themselves the way the Bible speaks about us and who we are through Christ. And so I chose this as the first one I wanted to break down from the Bible and to give you um, not just principles from the Word of God about how to break it, but in John chapter 5, I want to show you an example of someone that had this mentality of victimhood and how Jesus approached it and how Jesus got rid of it. And so in John chapter 5, we're going to read a story that's very famous. I'm sure if you've grown up in church, um, been a Christian for any really period of time, you've heard of this story of the man that was at the pool of Bethesda. And so I want to maybe show you something, an aspect of this story or things from this story that perhaps you haven't seen and how this mentality of victimhood plays into this story. So let's begin in verse 1 of John chapter 5. And the Bible says this. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If, uh, if that matters to you at all. But in verse 1, the Bible says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid or lame, for 38 years. Crazy. Think of that. This one man has been at this pool laying beside it for 38 years. Verse 6, the Bible says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So I'll pause there. I'm going to continue reading a few more verses down, but see the heart of Christ in this story where Jesus sees this man, and he knows by the Spirit that this invalid, this lame man, has been by this pool for 38 years. And something in the heart of Christ, something in the nature of Christ, that grieved Jesus, that he saw this man who had been lying beside this pool, and still, after all these years of waiting and waiting and waiting, had not been healed. And so, something about this stirred Jesus to the point where he approached him and asked him the question, do you want to be healed? And then verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And so you, I'll read that again in the voice that I think this man would have said this. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. You know, you can almost kind of hear the sound of defeat in this man's voice, This, um, the sound of excuses of why he hasn't been healed. 
And it's this mentality that we're going to break down today in this part two of this uh, series about victimhood. Because for me, in this story, you can see very clearly that one of the main reasons, to me the, the crucial reason, and I believe it's why Jesus addressed it, uh, why this man had not been healed after all of these years laying beside this pool was because he had this mentality of being a victim. You know, he had an excuse right, o- right away. When Jesus asks him, why are you not healed? The excuse comes out immediately. And the lame man says, oh, Lord, you know, I would be healed, but, you know, I don't have anybody that cares enough for me or loves me enough to put me into the pool while the water is stirring. And he says that because um, there were accounts recorded in Jewish history that this pool of Bethesda, there would be moments of time where the water would stir and that they believed an angel would come and stir the waters. And then while the, when the angel would stir the waters, the person that first stepped into the pool while the water was stirring at the pool of Bethesda, when they stepped into the water, they'd receive their healing. And there were testimonies and accounts of people that had in fact been healed by the stirring waters. And so this is why the lame man has been laying beside this pool because he has this hope of being healed. But one thing I want to break down in this part two of this series of victimhood and breaking the mentality of victimhood is that there's a huge difference between hope and faith. I was just listening to a preacher yesterday, actually. I listen to preaching all the time. And he said something that I thought was very profound when he was talking, he was teaching about the difference between hope and faith. And he said, People will hope their whole life and never receive anything from God. But the person that has faith in the very moment they receive from God. And then he used this example to explain it even further. That hope gives you the ability to smile while the ship is sinking, but faith keeps the ship afloat. I'll say that again because if you take notes, that's a great thing to have in your your notes about faith and hope. Hope allows you to smile while the ship is going down, but faith keeps the ship afloat. You know, the Bible says that hope deferred will make your heart sick. Why is that? Because hope doesn't bring the answer. Hope might for a temporary amount of time make you forget about the trouble, make you forget about the pain, make you like maybe like this man, make you forget about your sickness, your lameness, your inability, your flaws, whatever it might be, your, your victimhood, your insecurity. For a moment in time, briefly, hope might get you through some things, but hope in itself doesn't remove the issue or the problem or the sickness or the infirmity. Faith does that. Faith is higher than hope. Faith is greater than hope because there are people, believe me, and I'm sure you've met them and you know them, and I hope, you know, I hope to the Lord that you're not one of them, There are people that are good people. They love the Lord. They go to church. They never miss a service. They're in the front row every single time the church is open. They shout, they hoop, they holler, they run around the church, they dance, but they have no faith. All they have is hope. And that's why that their name has been on the church prayer list for the same problem for 47 years and they've never gotten an answer. And it's sad and it grieves my heart. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to make this episode 
And to me, obviously, we can see from the story, it grieved the heart of Christ to the point where he approached the man, not the man approached him and asked him to be healed, but Jesus, when he saw that this man had been dealing with this same issue and been in this same place by the pool for 38 years, something within Christ approached him because Jesus wanted to remove the issue from the man. And so... I understand that feeling and not that I'm, you know, a perfect person and I don't deal with things that I have to stand in faith in and things like that. But there needs to be something in the heart of a minister and a heart of someone that feels anointed to preach the gospel and uh, pray for the sick and see people's lives transformed by the gospel where you have mercy upon people that are good people. They just don't know how to get out of the problem that they're in. And this is the situation that we see in John chapter five. And let's keep reading because there's a lot more that we can glean from this story. Um, so verse seven, it's the, the sick man's response. You know, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. And while I'm going, somebody else steps down before me. Jesus said to him, here, this is really important. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk in verse nine. And at once, that's key. If you have a highlighter or a pen, and you're reading this in the Bible along with me, you need to underline, circle, highlight, do whatever you can to that phrase right there. And at once, uh, you, know, you know, that means immediately. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. And that's all I'm going to read from that story. But let's talk about that at once. You know, the Bible says, and, I, and I've said this many times on the podcast, but it's a key thing to understand about faith. Uh, and in Hebrews, now faith is, and you can stop right there. You don't even have to go through the whole scripture in Hebrews, but simply pause there. Now faith is hallelujah, because when the word of God truly comes to answer a situation, it doesn't take 38 years. It doesn't take 47 years. It doesn't have to be something that you pray about and you're seeking help about and counsel about for your whole life. But when, when you receive the word of God and then your faith is attached to that word, there needs to be an immediate answer. Not that there needs to be, but there has to be, there must be. Because God's word cannot return unto him void or empty, but it must accomplish the thing that it was sent to do. So as soon as Jesus spoke, we can see in John 5, as soon as Jesus spoke to the man and said, get up, take up your bed and walk, that lameness, that infirmity, um, that issue that plagued him his entire life, that thing that kept him bound and kept him in that state for 30 years, immediately at once, the Bible says, that issue had to go in Jesus' name. And so understanding something today about this mentality, don't be like that man by the pool of Bethesda that waited 38 years, waited probably most of his life. You know, I didn't read a commentary about how, how old he is in the story, but 38 years is a long time, even today where we live longer than people did in that day and age. 38 years with the same problem, 38 years with the same prayer request, 38 years hoping and hoping and hoping and nothing ever happens because you have to come 
to a higher level of believing, and that's faith. You leave hope behind and you have faith. Not that hope isn't valuable, not that hope doesn't have merit in something about it that is valuable, but there is a higher level of belief, and that is faith. Faith in the Word of God, not faith in the problem, not faith in doctors or medicine or treatments or... Um, therapy or rehabilitation. Not that, again, not that those things are evil, but once again, they're lesser than the greater thing, which is the word of God and faith in the word of God. And so when you get to that place, that's when the answer comes. And so many people, and again, I'm talking to you today as a friend. I'm not against anybody. I'm not here to criticize. I'm not here to make fun of. I'm not here to mock. I'm not here to belittle people. I'm here on this episode today because I believe this will help somebody. Because when you understand who you are in Christ and you understand what the word of God is, you understand what God's will is for you, you understand the power that faith can bring, you understand that the answer comes by that, you'll never see yourself as a victim. You'll never make excuses for your life. Well, you know, I would be here if it wasn't for my race. I would be here if it wasn't for the area of the country I was born in or uh, the country itself that I was born in. I wouldn't be here if my parents had enough to put me into college. Or You know, there are so many excuses, so many things that people will say to explain away their position in life, why their life ended up the way it is. But understand something from the Bible the Bible is not about excuses as to why you are where you are. The Bible is about the answer to take you to the place where you want to go. Jesus never encountered somebody that was in a state of sickness or disease or infirmity and left them the way they were, or even worse, uh, left them in a place that was even worse than the beginning state that they were in. No, anytime Jesus crossed somebody's path, they ended up better than they were before. If a blind man came and met Jesus, guess what? That blind man began to see. If a lame man encountered Christ, guess what? That lame man took up his bed, walked, ran, praised God. Uh, if a, a deaf man came unto Jesus and met Jesus, guess what? Those ears were coming open because Jesus, John 1, 1, was the word of God uh, that was made flesh that dwelt amongst men. Jesus was the word. He was the word made flesh. And so when the word came by, healing came with him. When the word came by, deliverance came with him. When the word came by, the answer for the problem was with Jesus. And it's the same today. It doesn't change just because we're not living in the actual day that Jesus was alive on the earth. But actually, in fact, we have a greater covenant built on better promises, the Bible says in Hebrews. And so think of how much more now we are not victims if the people in that story weren't victims. Because understand, Jesus hadn't bled yet. Jesus hadn't died for anybody's sins at this point. Jesus hadn't resurrected from the dead. Jesus hadn't uh, taken the authority from the devil and all of those kinds of things. And still, this person, through faith in the word of God, received their answer to their problem. And so how much more today does the modern Christian with the Bible on every single platform, you can read it on your phone in any single any language pretty much. You can re uh, read every single translation. You have every commentary known to man uh, at the press of a button. You have so many things that people 
uh, in this day and age that we're reading from in John 5 didn't have. And still they received healing when they placed their faith in the word of God. Let me tell you something. The modern Christian, you and me, especially younger people, that we know how to use this technology and all the things available to us, we have no excuse to be a victim in any area of life. We have the answer for every problem in the palm of our hands. We walk around with basically computers in our hands. We have the ability to find, literally, if you're dealing with a certain issue, let's say you're dealing with sickness, you can just type it on your phone, verses about healing. And the, uh, your Google app, whatever, will bring up hundreds of scriptures about healing. And then when you pray, just list them off one by one until you can feel that thing start to break and the word of God rising in your spirit, faith rising in your spirit. And I promise you an answer will come. So don't be like some of these people. And let, you know, I'll be honest, I, 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 I more than anybody probably have no excuse to be a victim and say, oh, I couldn't be this, I couldn't be that. And I, and I understand that. I understand there are people that grew up in, in rough situations, grew up in a broken home, grew up uh, poor, grew up in, in dangerous areas of the United States or other parts of the world. And you have reasons in the natural to say why you wouldn't make it and why you couldn't be this kind of person and why your dreams will never come true and why God will never use somebody like yourself. And I understand maybe there's somebody listening to me right now and you have some valid reasons in the natural as to why things wouldn't work out. But this is why I want to transfer uh, or uh, go on to my second point because this will help you even more about breaking this mentality because maybe you do in the natural, the parents you were born to, uh, the situation that you were raised in, there are things in, in your life that happen to you that you feel like you have a reason as to why you feel like a victim. So I want to go to 2 Corinthians 5.17 and read a famous scripture, a uh, very famous scripture out of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, because many people will read this verse, but I feel like they don't live it out and they don't really understand what it means fully uh, when it comes to who they are. But like I was saying about where you were born or who, you parent, who, your, uh, who your parents were or what the income in the house was like or whether or not your parents stayed married or you know all these things in life that could have been negative things, I want to read you a verse out of 2 Corinthians 5.17 that makes all of those things irrelevant to this issue. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, most of us will know this scripture. Therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hallelujah. Read it again. Therefore, if anyone, anyone, not white people, not black people, not... Latino people, not Asian people, not Middle Eastern people, not Jewish people, but anyone, all-encompassing, anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And let's read verse 18 as well. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hallelujah. And so if you feel that way that I mentioned, that there are things in life that happen to you, uh, nowadays it's so crazy. Even the color of your skin, people will say, is a reason why 
um, you can't be this or you can't be that. Or, And I understand there are things that are different because of um, race and how you're treated. You know, I understand those things may have some validity. I don't know um, because I don't have those experiences. But what I can tell you is the Bible teaches that it's not about the color of your skin. It's not about uh, your social background. It's not about your culture. It's not about um, the financial status of your family or you. But the Bible teaches that when you reconcile yourself to Christ, you become a brand new creature. The Bible doesn't even say you become a brand new human being. Interesting that the Bible doesn't use that terminology. It doesn't say you become a new human. It doesn't say you become a new white person. You know, when I got saved, I didn't become a new white person. I became a new creature. The very nature of who I was changed because the word of God entered my life. And so one, once the word of God entered, my very nature, the things I could have been, just got upgraded to 100 degrees, you know, 100 uh, times what it could have been. Because now I'm no longer the person I used to be, but through Christ, I've come up to a higher way of living that I never could have attained apart from Christ. And so don't have this mentality that life is hard and I can't be this because of this reason. And people will create any kind of excuse they can to make them feel less guilty of their, where they are in life, their position in life, um, why they didn't get this or that. But that will not be your story in Jesus' name. I don't want you to be Uncle Rico uh, from Napoleon Dynamite. If you've ever seen that movie, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, the main character, he has an uncle, Uncle Rico, who's always talking about how he would have made it to the NFL if he didn't get hurt his senior year and that he can throw a ball over the mountains and throw it a quarter mile and all this kind of stuff. And if only um, he didn't get injured, injured, he would have been an NFL quarterback and he would have been rich and blah, blah, blah. And if you know the movie I'm talking about, you know what I'm, I'm talking about. But there are so many people. That, that's a real person. I know it's a comedy movie, but Uncle Rico, he's all around us. <laughs> you might even have uh, some uncles that are like that. I, mean, I don't, but, you know, there's always that member of your family or, or somebody that you know that's like, oh, man, I would have been the best writer in the world. I would have wrote 100 best-selling books if it wasn't just because, you know, I have astigmatism and I can't really see that well and... Um, I can't read as much as I want to. And if it wasn't for that, I had to be on the New York bestseller list every single year. You know, people have a tendency to do that kind of thing. But the Bible teaches you that you don't have to identify yourself with your flaw. You don't have to identify yourself with insecurity and negative traits or uh, things that maybe were wrong that happened to you that weren't your fault and all these kinds of things. You know, you think of the woman in Mark 5 who had the issue of blood, that she spent all that she had on doctors and medicine and, and earthly um, answers for her problem. And the Bible says she spent all that she had, but she only grew worse. And that, but listen to this, instead of being defeated and sad and just crying all day about how it didn't work out, the Bible says she didn't spend all day complaining and all this stuff about, well, oh, poor me and pity me and, and self-pity. No, the Bible says when she heard Jesus was walking by and that she was going to be in close proximity to the word Jesus, that Jesus was walking by her, that she made 
up in her mind that I am going to be healed today, where she said within herself, the Bible says, that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know or I believe I will be made whole. And understand something, Jesus that day wasn't, it wasn't on Christ's agenda that day for him to heal uh, that woman of the issue of blood. It wasn't something that Jesus wrote in his um, his ancient Hebrew iPad that, you know, at 445 today, uh, the woman of the issue of blood is going to be crossing by. And so I need to allow my power to heal her. And then at five o'clock, I got to go heal, uh, raise up Jairus' daughter. You know, Jesus didn't have that kind of schedule. And so there wasn't Jesus in that in Mark 5 didn't make a demand on the woman of the issue of blood to be healed, but the woman of the issue of blood made a demand on the word of God, on Christ, to be healed. And that is a game changer, man. That will make you never, that will make you a champion throughout your entire life. If you can really understand that kind of principle, that Jesus isn't you know, Jesus is waiting on me. Jesus is waiting for me to make a move. Jesus is waiting for me to pursue him to a place where he has to bless me, that I'm knocking and keeping on knocking until the door opens. You know what I mean? But most people don't have that mentality, especially in my generation, the younger people. We live in this fast-paced, fast-food generation where we think everything needs to be presented to us on a silver platter for no hard work and no effort put in and I want my degree in a one year. I want a bachelor's program degree in six months. And I want to be a doctor and I want to go to school for one year and get a doctorate. And, you know, we just want things right now at the click of a button, at a snap of a finger. But there's something in life you have to learn, especially as a younger person, because these things aren't valued in society and in pop culture and things like that. But you make a constant demand on the word of God. You say, you know what? I don't care what's going on. I know it's on the, I know it's the weekend. I know my friends are doing this and doing that, but I make a demand today on the word of God because I know my answer is there. I choose to value eternal things instead of things that are temporary and then instead instead of things that are carnal because I understand already as a young person and I hope and pray that this will be your testimony one day or even now that even as a young person, because this was the case with me, where I just thought about life and I was like, you know what, what's the point of doing all these things, you know, other people my age are doing when I know in the end, it will either bring them pain, sorrow, emptiness, hollowness, just a shallow feeling. What's the point of pursuing all of those things and giving everything you have to attain something that in the end will not be worth it at all? I would rather pursue God and be mocked for it. I would rather preach like a crazy person and sweat and look insane and be laughed at and mocked because people don't understand it. And at the end, knowing my heart, after I'm after I pursue God with everything I have, after I launch out in ministry, after I go to Bible college, after I preach my first meeting or you know whatever it is that you're dreaming about and that you know God's place in your heart, I would rather do that thing and be mocked by the world than to be approved by the world and do all the things that they think are valuable and cool and, and popular and, and attractive and be seen by them and be praised by them. And I would rather, you know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, it says better is one day 
in, in God's courts, better as one day spent in God's house than a thousand anywhere else. And David wrote, he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to be a prince that dwells in the tents of wickedness. And there has to be something in your life where you come to that realization and that recognition in yourself where you say, I refuse to be called a part of this world. I see what the world calls valuable and precious and what they think is awesome. And I reject it. And I choose to believe the word of God and pursue it with everything I have. And even if it seems like it's not going my way in the natural, I don't believe what I see with my natural eye, but I believe what the Bible says about me and my life. And I choose to apply it to my life. And like Joshua that when I do that, I'll have great success in everything that I do. I'll be prosperous in everything that I do. And that mentality will change your entire life. Where instead of seeing yourself as the victim, instead of seeing yourself as a punching bag and, and something to be stomped on and pushed to the side and stepped over, now you see yourself as valuable. Now you see yourself as a team captain, a leader, someone that can change something, someone that can actually contribute and be valuable to what God's doing in his kingdom. And I want that to be your story. I want that to be your testimony. That even as a young person, you understand that once this mentality of victimhood is broken, now I'm a champion, I'm victorious, I have dominion in all areas of my life, and I'll never see myself as less than that. I want that to be your story. And if you ever need a verse that helps you understand why, uh, the past doesn't matter, where you come from doesn't matter, who you were born as in the natural doesn't matter. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a great verse for that. Um, and so if you're taking notes, I, put, I broke these down into points. And so these are four points that I'm doing today. Um, the first one we went over from John 5, I entitled it, Actually Want to Be Free. Um, and that was in John 5, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. And we understand that because... You know, the man that was there for 38 years, he embraced his victimhood and really um, had excuses as to why he wasn't healed. And many people do that even today. And so that's why I called that one actually want to be free. Number two, the one that we just finished now is understand your new nature, understand your new nature. And then we went to second Corinthians five seventeen for that one. And now getting to the number three of four today change your confession. That's number three. Change your confession. I want to talk about the power of your words today when it comes to this um, issue in this episode about victimhood. And so I want you to go to Luke 6. Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can go there. And if you just want to listen to me and know where I'm reading from, um, I'm reading out of Luke 6 and verse 45. It's a very important scripture about changing your confession, the power of your words that we're going to find here. And the Bible says this. Again, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. The Bible says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. I'm going to read that one more time. A lot of layers to the scripture. Luke 6, 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, 
out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth will speak. A companion scripture to this point and this verse is the Bible says, this is from memory, but I believe it's in Proverbs. Uh, The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so if you compare and companion those scriptures, Luke 6.45 and then that proverb, think about it. It begins in your mind. It begins with a mentality of how you think, which is why I'm going through these mentalities in these episodes, because it does begin in your mind. The Bible makes that clear because it says, as a man thinketh in his heart. And so it doesn't begin in your heart because your heart's not your mind. Your heart is not where you think. But it begins in your mind, and then from your mind it gets to your heart, and then from your heart, the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And so if you're looking at it like almost like a a step-by-step process, it goes thinking in your mind, uh, believing in your heart, and then the abundance of your believing in your heart to your mouth speaking. And that's kind of the process of really what will define your life. And that's why the Bible mentions, you know, guard your heart above all else from from it um, flow the issues of life. I believe that's Proverbs 4, 23, something like that. Um, But I want to deal with confession and the power of your words. Because man, oh man, with this issue and with this episode, is this a huge thing? Um, Many people just talk and talk and talk (laughs) and... uh, Again, you'll know these people, man. You'll know these people that they talk and they talk and they talk and they say things that are reckless. They say things that they don't even realize the damage they're doing just by popping off by the mouth. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, But they'll say things like I was mentioning earlier. Um, You know, I could be this if it wasn't for that. And I'm weak. I'm sick. The doctor said this, and it's always negative reports. It's always negative or gossip or some evil thing coming out of their mouth. Um, And they don't realize the damage that it's doing. But the thing is, when you begin to speak like that, and you make it a nasty habit, that you're constantly speaking negatively over people, over your own life, over your own ability, over the way that you look, over um, whatever it is. There are so many things that people speak about And they think it's humility and really it's false humility. And honestly, in myself, I had to say to myself, you know, don't do that because there will be times when people come up to me like, man, I love your podcast episodes. I love your preaching. You're a great preacher. And I'll be like, oh man, no, I'm just trying my best. And, you know, and I'm I'm trying to be humble. I'm trying to be like, I don't know, relatable or whatever. But I realized in myself, it's like, why, why downgrade or or, uh, degrade yourself in the attempt of trying to be like relatable or self-aware and um, not that my intentions were wrong, but if you have to put yourself down to make yourself feel like you're not prideful, I think there's an issue with that. Um, One quote that I like about um, pride and humility is that um, humility is not thinking of yourself less or it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And so humility is not putting yourself down all the time and making fun of yourself and talking about how much your preaching sucks or, or, or whatever. You know, there's so many things that I used to, you know, 
I'm dealing with and I, and I need to uh, not do those things. But humility is not thinking of yourself in a, in a less way, a less manner, but it's thinking of yourself less. You don't even think about yourself. You don't even bring awareness to your flaws or things like that. You just, you don't even think about them. And I think most people have that really wrong, really bad, because I consider myself a strong believer. And if I'm um, dealing with those things and I have to like watch myself sometimes with that stuff, I know there's a lot of people out there, a lot of Christians that do that and make that a routine and make that a habit. But don't speak death over your life. Don't speak negative things over your life. Um, have confidence. Have healthy confidence in yourself. Believe in yourself. And apply the word of God when it comes to those situations. Because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. And then we know the power of words. That words define your destiny. That words shape your future. And so if you're constantly talking about how uh, you'll never be this, and, you're, and you don't have the personality to be a preacher. You don't have the personality to start a radio program or to start a Bible club in your high school or go to, or go to Bible college. And all of that, all of those lies from the devil that people are vocalizing out loud, that's very dangerous. And especially when you're talking about breaking this mentality of victimhood, don't speak it out and confirm it with words that are damaging, but instead speak life. It's like Jesus said, the words that I speak, the words that Jesus spoke, they were spirit and they were life. They were words that didn't have death in them, didn't have um, discouragement in them, didn't have some heaviness or depression attached to them. No, they were joyful and happy and victorious and in life. And so speak life over your future, speak life over your relationships, speak life over your family, your ministry, whatever it is. Don't have this negative um, mouth that's always uh, saying things that are damaging to your future and what you're trying to build. And you're not prideful for being confident in what God has called you to do. You're not prideful for saying things like, I'm a good preacher. I know God's anointed me. You know, there's things that God has gifted me in and I can, I can do well. You know, there's not pride in that. Um, and people know the difference. And, uh, and I'm sure you'll know the difference just being self-aware of what pride is and what self-confidence in the word of God is. There's a clear difference. And really it's a matter of the heart. And those things are pretty self-evident. And so don't be embarrassed or feel like you're being um, prideful or a jerk or pompous when you're confident in your ability, you're confident in what God has called you to do. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. And so change your confession. Number three for this episode today of the part two of breaking the mentality of victimhood, change your confession. You're not weak. You're not a victim. You're not less than. Um, you're not someone that should be pushed to the side or forgotten about. No, instead say, I'm valuable. I'm chosen. God's qualified me. God's anointed me. The word of God is in me. The Holy Ghost confirms what I preach. And uh, I'll see miracles in my meetings. I'll see people get saved in massive numbers this year. This year will be the best year I've ever had. My wildest dreams are coming true this year in the name of Jesus. You know, and then attach scripture to it and speak life over your destiny. And so I want to go through that today as well. And then I want to close today with a fourth point. And so the fourth point today, if you again, if you take notes, 
I wrote down, walk out your confession even in the face of contrary evidence. And that's a little wordy. Maybe I should learn, uh, break that down a little bit less. Uh, but walking out your confession even in the face of contrary evidence. And so the scripture I want to go to for that is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And also, I want to read from an awesome, awesome book uh, today uh, for you guys. Um, if you don't have this book that I'm going to read from in a second, and I've mentioned it, I think, before on this podcast, but there's a book um, by, the, by a man that was a mighty, mighty healing evangelist and man of God by the name of T.L. Osborne. T.L. Osborne, that's T.L. and then last name Osborne, O-S-B-O-R-N. And he wrote a book called Healing the Sick. And um, I remember my dad gave me this book to read um, when he could tell I had interest in being a preacher at around 12, 13. And I was getting into that kind of stuff and studying and reading. And uh, this, this is one of the first books that my dad ever gave me. And if you want to be in ministry or you already are in ministry, maybe you already have this book. Um, but if you don't, I really, really encourage you, go on Amazon, uh, go in your grandparents' old bookshelves or whatever, try to find this book, Healing the Sick by T.L. Osborne. Uh, and there's so much awesome, awesome uh, doctrine in this book, and it'll really help you. But before we read 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I want to read, I believe you'd call it an excerpt, an excerpt uh, from this book, and it's on page 46 of Healing the Sick by T.L. Osborne, if you want to know where I'm reading from. And listen to what he says here. He says, Faith is never feeling, and feeling is never faith. Faith has nothing to do with feeling. Feeling has nothing to do with faith. Faith constantly attributes everything to what the Word of God says, irrespective of pains, symptoms, or feelings. Suppose you come for prayer with your faith based on the Word of God instead of feelings. You are ministered to according to the scriptures by the laying on of hands, and perhaps you are anointed with oil. Then someone asks you, how do you feel? You're, you answer, I am healed because the Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall reco recover. But the inquirer insists, do you feel any better? Your answer is very positive, knowing that God's word is in back of what you say. I know I'm healed because it is written, with his stripes I am healed. You may add, God said, I am the Lord God who heals you, and that means me. The work has been done because you attributed your healing to the power and authority and faithfulness of the word of God. You may ask, but what about feelings? Must we continue to carry our pains? No, you need not carry your pains and aches with you, ignoring them. Neither will you be untruthful about your pain. Always speak the truth. But here's the secret. Answer the inquirer with the word of God. Say just exactly what the Bible says. By his stripes we are healed. They laid hands on me and I shall recover. Jesus said it and he cannot lie. And then if you take note, this is a great, great quote from him here where he says, Faith disregards everything but God's word. I love that. 
Faith disregards everything but God's word. And so I, I'm going to stop there. I may have read a little bit uh, too much, but I think, you know, just reading that part of that book was probably better than this entire uh, 47 minutes of me talking. Um, but um, I love that because faith is never feeling. Feeling is never faith. And many people, because most people are emotional people, <laughs> most people are emotional. Most people based every decision they make, every thought they have, every single uh, decision they make, every single thing in their life is based on a feeling, uh, based on how they woke up that morning, based on how things appear to be. But that's not faith because faith, which is why for the fourth point, I, I said it, even in the face of contrary evidence, even in the face of something that appears to be real and big and a problem. You know, for instance, you get a diagnosis from the doctor that you have stage four cancer and it's inoperable and that you have six weeks to live. That can be something, an evidence that's in your face, in your way, something that's real, something that's right in front of you. You have a doctor's report that confirms it. You saw the CAT scan that shows you uh, where the cancer is and you can see it and it's a real thing. Not saying it's not real in the natural, but faith, many people don't, I, don't, I know, many people just don't understand this and, and I'm, I want to try to teach it as best as I can. But many people, they'll see that thing, that real obstacle, that real issue that's in their life, and they can't see past it and get to the word of God. But this is where faith comes in. Because though you see that problem, though you saw the CAT scan, though you got the report from the doctor, though you have the evidence right in front of you, you refuse to believe it over the word of God that says that the, he is the Lord, your God that heals you. You choose by faith to believe the scriptures of healing and the word of God over the present situation and the fact that's in your life, that's, uh, that you're staring down the barrel of. And this comes back to an issue of facts versus truth, because there are many things in life that will be factual. COVID-19 is a real disease. It's been studied. It's been diagnosed in people. People have died from it. People have had complications and been on uh, breathing machines because of it. Not saying it's not real. Not saying that it's not an actual disease that causes problems and, and is damaging to the society that we live in and is taking out people and things like that. But though I see the, the reality of the fact of the disease, it doesn't trump the truth of the word of God that says that by his stripes I am healed. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference between a fact and a truth because the truth will overcome the fact. Because guess what? When Jesus died on the cross and gave his breath with his final words on the cross and gave his spirit up, guess what? The truth was Jesus died that day. Jesus was dead. That was the truth. That was the fact, excuse me. But the truth was he's coming back again. The truth was he's going to defeat death. Hallelujah. The truth was he's going to overcome death. He's going to overcome sin. All of those things that were present and real, all the things that Jesus bore on his body for our sake, they were real. They were factual. They were deserved. Not to him, but to us. He took it for us. But the truth was Jesus was going to overcome it all. Hallelujah. 
you know, it's, it's so funny to me that Christians have a hard time with this because then it's like, what do you think a miracle is? Do you think a miracle is something that can be scientifically proven? Do you think a miracle is something that can be studied under a microscope in a laboratory? Do you think a miracle has a formula like a math equation does? No. It's something, a miracle, is something that suspends the natural laws of humanity. The law of gravity, the law of whatever. I don't, I don't know a lot of laws uh, of nature off the top of my head. Uh, I'm not Isaac Newton. But um, there are things that miracles will suspend and they'll counteract and be greater than. You understand what I'm saying? How can someone, and this has happened, someone that doesn't have eye, eyeballs in their eye sockets, not that they're blind. This person's not blind and has eyes, but they're blind eyes. No, this person doesn't have eyeballs or retinas or corneas in their eye sockets. And then they're prayed for by somebody, an entire the iris, the cornea, the, all the parts of the eye are developed instantly and they have eyeballs in their eye sockets. Okay, wait a minute. That, those things happen. That's a miracle. So those things happen, but the truth was they didn't have any eyes. But the, I mean, the fact was, excuse me, the fact was they didn't have any eyes, but the truth was God is able to make the impossible possible. And so when it comes to faith and when it comes to seeing yourself as a victim, not only do you have to understand your new nature in God, but then you walk it out and you believe it on a daily basis, day by day. You take the word of God for yourself. You believe it. You claim it. You say, it's mine. I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to live it. I'm going to see the fruits of it. I'm going to see results and manifestations because of my belief in it. And even if there's a natural thing, even if there's a Goliath in the valley mocking my God, even if there's a lion's den in front of me, even if there's a fiery furnace burning hot, even if there's an evil king or politician that says if you worship, you'll be... Uh, killed on the spot. Even if there's issues in life, I refuse to believe the fact of the issue over the truth of the word that I believe with all my heart. And that's faith. Faith says, I don't care what it looks like. I believe God. And when I believe God, all the problems become small and my God becomes big. Everything, it's a flip. Because when you be believe in the fact of the problem, the problem becomes big and God becomes small. Whereas you could hear God clearly every day, now it seems like you can't even hear God whisper. And it seems like God's far away and it's because... You set your eye on the problem. You focus on the negative thing. You focus on everything sent to destroy you instead of focusing on the one thing sent to make you victorious in every area of your life. And when you make that decision that says, I choose to believe my God, I choose to stand on the word of almighty God, the word sent from heaven, nothing sent to destroy me shall have victory. Nothing sent to destroy me will have any sort of foothold in my life because the word of God is my strength and my shield. The word of God is the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, like Jeremiah said. And I choose to believe my God. I'm not a victim. I'm not less than. I'm not in defeat. I'm not a problem. I'm not a nuisance. I'm not a negative thing in my family's life. I'm not whatever. Whatever it is the devil tries to lie and get in your head and speak in your ear to discourage you and make you feel less than, 
you reject it and you say, God, I believe your word. I uphold your truth. I stand on the grounds of what you've made available to me and I sign at the end and I claim it as mine. It's my inheritance and it's what my life will be. That's when everything changes for you. Everything. Not just reading about it, not just hearing sermons about it, but actually walking out your confession in the face of the evidence that's been sent to discourage you. That's real faith. That's what faith does. Faith is never feeling, and feeling is never faith. People think you can have both. You can't. You can't. They're opposed to each other. They're diametrically opposed. It's like light and darkness. Faith and feeling are like light and darkness. If I turn a light on in a room and the room is pitch black, when the light comes on, the darkness flees. And when I turn the light off, darkness fills back into the room. You can't have all these things driven by feeling and your emotions and your soul and then try to get into faith and the spirit and the word of God. It doesn't work that way. You have to make yourself believe the word. Choose to see it instead of everything else. I don't receive the negative report. I don't care what the WHO is saying. I don't care what the CDC is saying. I don't care what some godless news anchor is saying on the news. I don't care. I choose to believe God. I choose to uphold the word of God in my life. When I pray, I pray the word of God. I don't pray for my emotions and my feeling. You think... I mean, God's a good God, and he, He's a loving God. But do you think God would rather hear a prayer spoken by faith and the Word of God or a prayer spoken by emotion and you just popping off up the mouth about how you feel that day? Obviously, the answer is a prayer, a prayer prayed in faith by the Word of God. That's what God hears. That's what moves God. Because one thing my dad has always said, and I love this, is God's not moved by need. God's not moved by need. God's moved by faith. If God was moved by need, if God was moved by need, there would be no starving children in Africa or other third world nations. There would be no uh, cancer wards. There would be no poverty. You understand? Because obviously you can see just by living in the world for 30 seconds that there's a lot of need in the world. Anybody can see that. But understand something, just because there's need, that doesn't move God. People will say, why doesn't God do this for them? And Because he's not a God moved by need. He's a God moved by someone that has enough faith to believe his word and provoke him by his promises. And say, God, I see you've listed A, B, and C for me in your word. And guess what? I'm just crazy enough to believe that it's actually for me. God's looking for people like that. God's looking for you to rise up in faith enough to live your life in that manner. Not to be a victim. Not to be looked down upon your entire life. No. But to say, God, I believe you. I reject everything else in the world. I reject all the negative that they want to fill my mind with, and I believe you with everything I have in me. It's a life-changing principle. It's what real faith is. So I want to read that to you today out of that great, great book. Again, if you don't have it, get it, man. Even if you're not in full-time ministry, 
If you're in full-time ministry, you have to have it. And if you're not in full-time ministry, you like really, really need to get it. Healing the Sick by T.L. Osborne. It's an awesome, awesome book. And it changed my life and it still changes my life when I read it now. Um, But with that being said, let me pray for you today because we're coming up on an hour and I got through all my points and I finally did a part two to the victimhood mentality, breaking it. And so I'm happy. I hope this blessed you today. And I want to pray for you because I want to pray that these words, the time that we spent on today's episode will actually sincerely minister to you, that it's, that it's blessed you. Um, you know, the Bible says that there was a situation where there was a man with a withered hand that was listening to Paul preach and that as Paul preached, the man was healed, not from Paul laying hands on him or touching his hand with his hand, but simply from the man with the withered hand listening to Paul preach and then believing it just from that power of believing the word, the man received his healing and he stretched out, um, his hand. And so there is power in the faith that comes from hearing the word of God. And I believe that when you receive that faith, the things that you face in life, you have an answer to it right away. And so father, right now, as I pray for my friends, I pray that this podcast ministered to them. I pray that their faith is getting higher and higher and it's rising every single day. Father, I rebuke every lie of the devil, every lie of the enemy that's tried to fill their minds and make them feel less than, make them feel defeated or or in sickness or in pain. Whatever it might be, Father, I rebuke all the negative thoughts of the devil and I thank you for your word that you've exalted even above your own name, Father. I pray that that word and the faith that they're attaching to that word will produce mighty miracles and testimonies in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray it right now in faith, and it's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. I'm really happy you listened today. If you would like to, I always make this available at the end of the podcast, um, through my website, which you can find through my social media, Uh, There's the ability now to partner or to give a one-time gift through my website. And so if you feel led to give or partner with me, you can do so at PrestonShuttlesworth.com. My name, PrestonShuttlesworth.com, and you can partner with me there. Um, Next week, I'm going to be in West Virginia, uh, Calvary Temple, preaching at my Uncle Tim's church uh, for Sunday morning. And then we have a lot of youth rallies coming up this summer where I'm going to be doing outdoor um, events to reach uh, the lost, reach young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ this summer, Um, going to North Carolina, going to Texas, um, Pennsylvania most likely as well. And so a lot of things coming up for meetings and in-person events. And so I'm going to be updating the website for my schedule and things like that. Uh, I need to be better at that. Um, But anyways, I love you today. I hope this podcast blessed you. Again, you can visit me, in a way, uh, on my website, uh, PrestonShuttlesworth.com. And once again, I love you, God loves you, and I'll talk to you very, very soon. Have a blessed day.